Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be uh, with everybody once again to, to receive the word, to, to worship, and give thanks for what the Lord has done for us. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, just the, the worship this morning, I don't know about you, but I needed that this morning. Uh, and so I just want to give a brief thank you to the, the worship team uh, for all of you who have served in one way or another the, the soundboard. Uh, thank you for just what your contribution to our, our weekly worship. I needed that this morning. Thank you. Now then, this week. Uh, for those of you that have not been here, we've been, uh, we recently started a series going through the, the letter to, or Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, or as we call it in our Bibles, Ephesians. Uh, and so we've been there for a few weeks, and uh, we've seen the, just the way that, that Paul has this uh, compassion as he speaks to the church in Ephesus. But as we prepare to get into God's Word, uh, I've been paying a, 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 a lot of attention to what's been going on in the world around us uh, lately. Uh, I, I listen to, to, the, to the news on the way to work and just kind of trying to catch snippets of everything that's going on. And in the midst of all of that, I was reminded of a book that was written in 1936 by a man named Dale Carnegie. And some of you may have read this. I know that, that Amy read this a couple of years ago, but it's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's one of the most popular, uh, not just a self-help book, but one of the most popular books ever written. It's actually sold over 15 million copies. And in 2011, it was actually number 11 on Time Magazine's most influential books ever written. This is a book that has impacted the lives of many people and how to interact with one another, but even how to view themselves. But I think, gauging off of what I've seen in, or listened to in the news and just seen the way that people treat each other, I think if we were to have a follow-up book written today, the title would be more along the lines of How to Start Fights and Push People Away. And it would include chapters and topics like praise yourself whenever possible, have an opinion and share it often, demonize people who disagree with you, this one's always going to be fun, discuss politics at work, I'll even throw out a few uh, discussion starters for you, I won't go into depth, but gun control and shootings, abortion, birth control, and reproductive rights. Or even just drop the words, the wall. Those are some fun discussion starters you can have this week. Just see what happens. Uh, but the final chapter of the book, maybe even just the appendix to wrap everything together, would be specifically on social media. Because this is the avenue where you can do all of those things at the same time. In fact, for anyone brave enough, I'm going to dare you to do something. This week, I want you to share this status. I am so glad that I voted for fill-in-the-blank. Anyone who didn't should not call themselves a Christian. And then just pop yourself some popcorn and sit back and watch the fireworks explode. Everyone that knows you will either hate you, love you, or hate each other. You will see like great Aunt Bessie like start throwing like this extreme vitriol towards anyone who disagrees with her. It is the way that people treat each other over things that are not of eternal consequence, we have greatly excelled 
and how to start fights and push people away. Now, full disclosure, I do not actually encourage you to do what I just said. It was just to kind of prove a point. But regardless, you can look around and see the way that people talk to each other, treat one another. You can listen to the news and you're constantly bombarded by the fact that we are surrounded by hostility and divisiveness. And in fact, sadly, most Christians do not look any different from the rest of the world. In fact, some people who bear the name of Christ are the ones shouting the loudest over things that don't matter eternally. And I think that's because a lot of people who bear the name of Christ are finding their identity in idols and things of their own personal interest, but not in the Savior. And it's okay to to be passionate about things of this earth, because we are here in this time, and we are called to be engaged. But there is a problem when your identity comes from those things, and those man-made institutions, instead of finding your identity in the Lord. And this passage that we're looking at in Ephesians this morning, it's almost like that scene in the movies where someone is just completely freaking out and then someone grabs him and slaps him in the face like, come to your senses, snap out of it. That's what this chapter is doing. It's saying, no, no, no. Remember the core of where you come from. Remember the core of who you belong to. Because even... In Paul's time, there was extreme divisiveness in the church. In particular, he's writing this to a group of believers that were not part of natural Israel. These are non-Jews who have been brought into a Judeo-Christian faith. And Paul is saying, remember, we are all one in Christ. The faith that God originally gave to the Jews has now been extended to the Gentiles. And we are all one in Christ. And because of this, I would say that Paul is making the argument in this, in this section that every believer, every believer should live lives of humble holiness. And I know that sounds uh, like an over-exaggeration of, of humility and, and holiness, but I, I say those words together because... There are a lot of people in our world today bearing the name of Christ who are flaunting holiness but without humility. It almost seems like this this, uh, challenge to one-up one another of, well, you know, I was a worse sinner than you and let me tell you about it. Or, you know, listen to all of the Bible studies that I've gone to and all these great Christian conferences that I've attended and I've learned so much, let me tell you about it. And it's this sense where there are a lot of people bearing the name of Christ, but doing it without love and humility. And so that's why I say that every believer should live a life of humble holiness. And in order to do that, I believe this section, this passage, has what I'm calling the ABCs of God's kingdom. First, In uh, verses 11 through 12, remember that you were alienated from God's kingdom. So there's your A right there. 
Secondly, in, in verses 13 through 18, that you have been brought near to God's kingdom. And then thirdly, in verses 19 through 22, that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Before we go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that, that you have given to us to come together to sit in your word to reflect on what you have done for us and are doing and have promised that you will do. And God, right now in this time, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place, that you would break down the walls that we have built up, that you would destroy the idols that our hearts create. Speak through me, God. Please don't let this be my ability or my, my musings or my thoughts, but God, speak through me that this would be your gospel truth for your people, for your kingdom. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Now first, to live a life of humble holiness, you have to remember that you were alienated from God's kingdom. And we see in verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the, in the flesh of hands. All right, so this is going all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 where uh, God has already promised that, that Abraham's descendants would be a blessing to the world. But in Genesis 17, 7, God says to Abraham, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And the way that this covenant was sealed was he gave them the sign and seal of circumcision. Now, for those of you who might not know what circumcision is, you can take that up with your parents afterwards. I'm not getting into that right now. But for the sake of this, it was a physical sign that represented who was part of God's kingdom. Who was part of this covenant promise that he had established? And so it set a distinction between people who belonged to Israel and those who didn't, namely the Gentiles who were non-Israelites. And it went so far as uh, once Jerusalem was established and they had built the temple where they could go and worship the living God, where they could worship Yahweh, this covenant God of Israel, that there was actually there was, uh, sets of walls and barriers that only certain people could get up to a certain level. And there was an area called the Court of Gentiles. And pretty much you could get inside of the front door, but you couldn't get past the lobby, basically. That you could come and worship the God of Israel, but you, you better keep your distance. And so there was this sense that Gentiles could come and worship the God of Israel, but they weren't allowed, they were not worthy to come any further than a certain point. And in verse 12, Paul goes on to say, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We're accustomed 
to the concept of walls and not even getting into the political commentary of what's going on right now, but just the fact that there were temple walls to, to created to keep people in certain areas that the Gentiles and unclean Israelites could only go so far. And then Jewish women could get a little bit further, but they weren't men, so they couldn't get any closer to the, to the Holy of Holies. But even at that point, only the high priest could get in there. And so in regarding worship, they were used to a concept of walls and barriers. Even your home, your walls keep the, 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 the environment and, and natural elements out and keep you protected from what is outside. Your computers, your phones have fire walls to keep viruses and things like that out. We are used to the concept of walls to protect us. And more often than not, we're quick to throw up emotional walls when we feel like our, our heart has been threatened. We throw up walls within ourselves to protect ourselves. And before Christ, there was a wall separating God's people from God Himself. Not just of those who were of Israel and not, but the very sin that is within your heart is a wall and a barrier that prevented you from getting any closer to God. Paul phrases it that us, we, we were Gentiles. We are Gentiles. That we had no hope. and We were without God in the world. Before Christ, there was no hope. We were without God. But, anytime you see, or almost anytime you see the word but in Scripture, you're about to get dropped with a huge amount of hope. There's good news because you have been brought near to God's kingdom. In verse 13, Paul goes on, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now the concept, if, if you're alienated, you're, if there are walls between you and God, to be brought near doesn't seem like it's enough. But the phrase brought near within a biblical context means that you now have access to these things. To be brought near to the throne of God means that you, have now, you now have access to come to the throne of God Himself. That you are not restricted to the court of Gentiles. You, not, you are not restricted to have to go through a mediator of the, of the high priest. You yourself have access to God because of the blood of Christ. For those of you that uh, might have been here for, during our Advent season, uh, might recall the, the week that we were talking about the peace that Christ provides from uh, Romans chapter 3. And let me just uh, give you a refresher for those of you that uh, either were not here or just need to hear it again. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, and this is the key word here, as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So, the gift of God is not just that Christ came to dwell among His people, that God in the flesh came to be with His people, but that His very blood sets His people free. That His blood both justifies or brings justification and propitiation. And for those of you that like your good theological church words, I'll remind you that propitiation means to turn wrath into favor. Like a propeller, propitiation turns that wrath into favor. That it turns the wrath away that you one time deserved because you were alienated from God. That the wall of sin separated you from Him. But the blood of Jesus gives you access to the throne of God. Just let that sink in. At one time, you were an enemy of God. You were an alien to Him. That you deserved His wrath because of your sin. But because of Jesus and His love and His sacrifice, that that wrath has become favor. In verse 14, For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is why Paul writes in other letters, especially Galatians and Colossians, that there is no Jew and Greek. There is no male or female. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised because of what Christ has done. All are one in Christ doesn't matter what family you came from. It doesn't matter where you grew up. What your background was. The sacrifice and redemption of Christ has made us one in Him. Going on in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. But what Christ has accomplished was not just that He was a good teacher. He wasn't just a role model. But that His accomplished work, His sacrifice, His his death and resurrection reconciled you to God. You who were once an alien are now His. You who once deserved wrath now receive His favor. That what Christ did was He made what was wrong and made it right. That is what the Gospel is. It's not about being good enough. It's not about doing enough to make God love you more. It's that when you were an alien to God, that Christ redeemed you 
and called you His. That He is your peace. That you have been brought near because of Him. That you have been reconciled to God because of Him. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Again, the distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles, that those who were far off, that is who we were. That those who were near to God, the Jewish people, all are one because of Christ. That the Gospel of Jesus Christ brings peace for Jews and Gentiles alike. For through Him, we both have access and one spirit to the Father. And that's the beauty of this Trinitarian language that the work of Christ is applied by the Spirit to you to give you access to the Father. That what Christ did was not just to make it possible, but to actually accomplish that reconciliation. I have a friend at work uh, in my in my full time job uh, who's actually uh, he moved here several years ago from the Philippines. Uh, JJ's an awesome guy, a, a strong, passionate heart, and he's been working so hard these past uh, uh, I guess past year to work on getting his. Uh, he already has his green card. He's actually green card. He's working on actually becoming an American citizen. And I was actually looking it up, and on average it takes anywhere from six months to a year to obtain actual American citizenship. And he's been busting his tail. He's, he's been doing the, the tests and doing the, the interviews, and, and it's this long, drawn-out process. But at one point, when it's all said and done, he's going to be able to look back and say, look at what my hard work accomplished. I did this. I put in the time to study. I put in the, the work and the effort and passed these exams. And, and because of that, I'm, he's going to be able to say, I am now an American citizen. And he's so excited and hopeful for that. And I think it's actually next month when it's going to be completed. We're going to throw them at this huge party. But it's all based off of his work and his effort but for the Christian, it's not about looking and, or saying, look at what I have done, but it's saying, look at what Christ has done for me. Humility. The realization that you have nothing to offer in this exchange. That you were not just an alien, but because of your sinful heart and your sinful nature, that you were what we could call an illegal alien to God. That you fully deserved His wrath and judgment, but because of the work of Christ, His death and resurrection, He took your sin with Him to the cross and gave you His righteousness. And like a good uh, reminder of hope, oh, oh, almost, 
and I, this pales in comparison, but those uh, like the, the QVC or home shopping network kind of moment where it's like, but wait, there's more. It's not just that you have been redeemed and reconciled, but you are a citizen of God's kingdom. In verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Focus on those words for a moment. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. My senior year of high school, my, uh, my, my uh, senior government class, we were involved in this uh, competition where it was like a, a, a debate kind of thing, but we ended up actually winning at the state level and having, uh, getting to go to Washington, D.C. to compete at a national level to represent our school. But there was uh, this constant reminder before we even left the school to get to the airport, there was just constantly drilled into our heads that, remember, you are not just representing Stahl High School, you're representing Charleston County School District and all of South Carolina. We were going as representatives, almost ambassadors of the state of South Carolina because we were there to represent where we came from. And according to this Scripture right here, that your true citizenship, where you truly belong is in the household of God, that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. That that is the identifier of where you belong and who you are. And if that truly took root, how would that that reality affect moving forward? How would that affect the way that you view yourself, the way, that you view, the way that you view others and the world around you? That you were a citizen with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Now, I imagine most people here do not have much of a background in masonry construction. So for, for uh, just a quick definition, a cornerstone was actually one of the, not one of the, it was the most important piece that a mason would set down when they were constructing a building because it was the first block that they would lay down that would set the position of the house, the direction that it would face. Everything that was built for that home or that building was based off of where the cornerstone was laid. And Paul is saying that Christ is the cornerstone of His church and His people. That the apostles and the prophets laid down the foundation. They did the work that you and I are continuing today, but Christ Himself is the cornerstone that established His kingdom and His people. That he is the one that sets the direction. 
and the position of his church and his people. And Peter continues that thought later in 1 Peter chapter 2. Saying, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am, in le- I am laying in Zion a, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. That you are a living stone in the kingdom and the temple of God. And as Peter says, that you are built to be a holy priesthood. That you and I today are continuing the work that the apostles and the prophets of God started so long ago. That our citizenship as members of God's household, as members of God's kingdom, that you and I are representatives of heaven declaring the goodness and mercy and grace of God. Everywhere we go. We are separate stones being built together for one body in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Not just as a beautiful image, but as the reality of God's kingdom, that you and I are the presence of God here. Right now in, in North Charleston Elementary, right now in the, in the North Charleston area, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, in your schools, that is part of the kingdom of God that you are representing and bringing His kingdom to the world around you. Once, we were aliens on the outside of the wall. But the work of Christ brought you near to the throne of God. And as we were being built together as His temple, a living temple, that this God that you were once alienated from makes His dwelling place in you. How would that affect your attitude? How would that affect the relationships of the people around you that you disagree with? Maybe even maybe you've participated in some of that social media bickering and, and divisiveness yourself. I don't know. But how would that affect the people that you feel directly oppose your core beliefs? This reality that this God who you were alienated from Himself brings you near and dwells within you. How would that change those relationships? How would it affect the relationships of the people who have hurt you, wounded your heart, left scars on the view that you have of yourself? How would it affect your relationships with your neighbors, 
with your co-workers and your classmates. If you remember that you were once alienated and then brought near and made a citizen of this holy kingdom, how would it change the way that you viewed and loved those who were unloved? How would it affect your view of those who were rejected? That those that are aliens themselves, the people who treat you like enemies. Today, I, I ask you, will you trust your own strength and abilities and continue to find your identity in anything other than the redemptive work and person of Christ? Or will you live in humble holiness, remembering that you were once alienated, but you have been brought near, and you are a citizen of the holy kingdom of God. Which will you choose? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and all we can say is thank you. Because we did nothing, we offer nothing in this exchange for you to to even look on us, but yet you chose to love us and call us your people, that in your love, that you take the alien and the outsider and you bring us near and give us access to your throne, that you call us citizens of your kingdom. That you are the one who redeems and restores us. And so God, now in this time, let us turn away from our selfishness. Let us give up on our idols and come back to you who calls us your own. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And we pray this in the redemptive name of Jesus Christ. Amen.